Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. Well, welcome lovers of product. Today, I'm here with Todd Olson, the CEO of Pendo. So Todd, why don't you start this off by giving us a little overview of your background for anyone who hasn't heard your earlier podcast on Product Love. Sounds good, Eric. I mean, don't you want to share my background? I feel like you know it just as well as I do. So um, uh, <laughs> Not as well, not as well. So I might say things you wouldn't. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, so as Eric said, I'm one of the founders and CEO of Pendo. I'm a former product person. So part of this, I was VP of Product Rally Software. And before that, you know, I've been in a variety of kind of technical leadership positions at software companies. So that's what I've done most of my career is build enterprise software. So now you have a book that I think is going to be out right around the same day this podcast is live. Tell us about your book. What's it called? A book is called The Product-Led Organization. And what's it about? Well, it's obviously about the product-led organization, but... Uh, um, Give you a little more detail there. <laughs> yeah, look... I, there's been a lot of talk about what it means to be product-led. And then, you know, there's obviously there's a whole movement around product-led growth. But I think the opportunity for this whole notion of product-led is much more expansive than simply product-led growth. And I guess I should say, too, like in the past few years, you know, I've been seeing a new way of doing things, new trends, new techniques, new ways of both delivering product and using product. And I think I try to kind of pack them all into this, this book to help kind of share some of the things that I've been seeing. And, and honestly, in some ways you're writing a book, it's, it's, to me, it's not necessarily the answer per se, but maybe it's the start of a good conversation around what it means to be a product-led organization. So tell me what, what inspired you to write it? You know, it's funny. I, I, never really thought about writing a book before. And I was chatting with a publisher about writing a book and, and we're talking about various topics. And I, I think I finally feel like I had something to say, you know, and, and what I mean by that is there's plenty of books on the market around, you know, how to be a product manager what the role of product management and, and honestly really good books. And so I didn't want to have just another good book that I felt like, either competed with or somehow tried to supplant some of the other good books out there. I wanted something new. I wanted a new topic, a new concept, something that there aren't a lot of books on. It was kind of my goal and my vision. And I think the inspiration just, I finally saw enough and had enough content in my head and it kind of organized it in a sense that felt like it was kind of book worthy. And so, yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. I mean, I think the world's changed. And uh, the world's even changed since I've been developing software. And part of what's inspired me here is to kind of take a lot of those learnings, all those stories, and then kind of package together into content that's helpful. I mean, helpful for executives, helpful for product management professionals, helpful for everyone to kind of help them challenge the way they're thinking and hopefully inspire them to think a little differently. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of product management books that are out there today are, are tactical or somewhat like a handbook. I think you started going down the path, but let's take you a little further. How do you intend for this book to be used and, and who should read it? 
So you look, I, I think certainly any product management professional, so product manager, product owner, director of product, VP of product, all, all great roles. I think executives that want to be, you know, get ideas on how the product may help their business. And like, you know, maybe it's a different model for, for a company. I, I think like any executive, it would be a, a valuable read. Certainly anyone who wants to get into product management, I think this is a, a useful read. But even other departments, you know, like uh, customer success or customer support or, you know, any of those functions, I think, would benefit from some of the content in, in this book. And, and look, it, it, I think the book reflects who I am as much as anything. It, it's, I'm not a super wordy person. Like, I don't just like spew words to fill a page. So in that sense, I mean, would you call it tactical? It's content dense. You know, in some cases, it's practical. You know, it gives actual suggestions, real world examples, you know. So in some cases, like, for example, there's a chapter on freemium. And, you know, I try to capture, like, what are the different goals of it? How to think about it? What I've seen work, you know. Hopefully, it's a useful chapter that if you're uh, an individual on a team thinking about how to leverage, you know, a freemium product, how to think about designing it, how to think about building it, how to think about the goals for it, you know, that sort of thing. Of course, it's not going to tell you exactly what to build. No one can do that. But, but that, that's kind of at a high level how I'm hoping for it to be used. Now, you, you split the book into three different sections, leveraging data to create a great product. Product is the center of the customer experience. And third, a new way of delivering product. Talk to me about how you settled on those three themes, and maybe you can give me an overview of, of what each section goes through, explores, covers. Yeah, so look, uh, initially when I was first thinking about the book, data was actually the core of the book. There aren't really any books on data-driven product management. There aren't any rural books on this is the comprehensive index of product data. Those books don't exist. And I thought there'd be benefit of having content and books on how to think about data in terms of product. Uh, so that's, that's always been like on a big part of the inspiration. And I wanted to be somewhat, try to be somewhat comprehensive. So like the whole concept data, we kind of start with one thinking about the objective or goals. So there's a lot of different business goals, introduce a lot of different models, frameworks, everything from little mini business plans to experiment canvases to, you know, different agile techniques that talk about, goal setting. And the second thing is just, and then just going through a bunch of different measures, you know, everything from high level financial measures is not like a finance book, of course, but financial measures that say a product person would it'd be valuable for those individuals to know, as well as some typical, what's seen as product-led growth measure conversion, Dalmau, wow, all that kind of stuff. So like trying to cover like comprehensive measurements and, and then how to combine data in different ways to make insights. So that's kind of like section one. It's all about data-driven PM, kind of chock full of both practical tidbits and some, some good ideas there. Second one is this notion of product that is at the center of the customer experience. I think the second section is like, yes, it builds on the first one. It's how to use data, but it's how to use data to improve the customer experience. And I think of all the sections, it's one that like, really opens the aperture on how you think about your product. I mean, how do you think about as a salesperson, as a marketing person, as a customer success support? It's kind of, I think it's one of my favorite sections of the book because it covers so many different use cases. You know, you think about like jobs to be done as a framework and what do you hire your product to do? You can think of this section of the book as like, 
how a customer success team or support team or any team would hire the product to help them be more efficient. That's a big aspect of that section. So that's two. Three is new way delivering product. I mean, look, I, I started my career, I, I shipped CDs, you know, in many cases, boxes. You know, I mean, obviously we don't do that anymore. Everything's cloud-based, everything's on demand, but like the way you ship software is like radically changed. You know, we ship super frequent with these stage rollouts, things like feature flags. Because of this, we're seeing emergence of new roles beyond product management, like this whole product operations function or product ops. So it covers all that stuff. You know, how do you change the way you work? I mean, there's a chapter in there around sunsetting features, removing features. You know, I think it's a kind of a fun topic. I mean, when should you remove a feature? Why should you remove a feature? I mean, a lot of people talk about adding features in product. Very few people talk about removing them. And so I, I can't say it's the only chapter ever written on removing a feature. I, I don't think I read every PM book, but it's not a widely talked about concept. So that's in there as well. So anyway, there's a bunch of stuff like that. So that's kind of how it's laid out. Awesome. Thanks. Now, you touched on kind of how much product has changed, right? How much of the contents of this book could have been predicted? Like, let, let's step back six years ago when we were creating Pendo. Could you have imagined yourself writing this book? I could have imagined writing some of the pieces on data. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, you don't sit around a ton and think about, I mean, I, maybe I don't know, you both do and don't, <laughs> what, what the world's going to be like in six years. I'm trying to think if I thought about this whole products idea back then. It's very, very possible. I mean, every function has an ops function, so it kind of feels very natural. A product has its own as well. So that feels being able to be predicted. I think I could have predicted that the content like this does exist. I couldn't have predicted the actual stories and the actual examples. That, like, because, of course, you're always a little bit surprised around how things actually occur. But yeah, maybe I'll go with, yeah, I think I could have imagined it. So sorry to think that went through out loud, but yeah, I'll say yes. So how much do you anticipate this whole notion of being product-led that the customer experience or even how sales operates would all live in product? Is that something you also thought way back then that this product movement, this product-led movement was going to take place? Um, Well, look, we already saw, even six years ago, we've seen product-led growth be a thing. We've seen viral businesses businesses that have, you know, kind of refer friends, just kind of take off. We've always seen this in the consumer world, I, I think. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that's shocking. But I, I do think beyond sales, like the support use cases, self-service, all those, I think um, it's probably happened faster than I had expected. And look, do I think everything's going to live in product? Maybe that's aspirational. I think we really need to think about what are the low-hanging fruit? What are the, the quick hits for what product can handle? And I think every function should be thinking about like, hey, I know I'm doing this by hand. I know I'm doing this manually. Can the product offload some of this stuff? It's kind of ridiculous that I do this manually. And I think, the, I think companies need to be thinking more like that. They need to be having higher expectations out of their product and product teams. So give me some examples of that. You know, give me some examples of different departments and what they should think about you know, being offloaded to or supported by or enhanced by the product? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I, I, you know, I've used support a few, few instances here, but obviously support volume is a thing, you know, people call in and I think support needs to see their role, not just as a, I'm going to manage this queue and have really good metrics and good CSAT, but I need to, my, 
goal in life is having fewer inbound and ultimately being more efficient with the resources and individuals that I have. So like what I want to see is people feeding more data back to product on these are the things that would help our team reduce load, not even get the ticket. And, and you know, maybe before that, I think the other thing that I also think that is, a, that's the ultimate goal, but let's move one step removed back from that. What are even some internal tools that you can build for support that reduces their time to sell a ticket by potentially hours or double? Like that's something that really gets bragged about or talked about. Hey, I built some tool for support to like better diagnose, but that saves money. That helps you scale. Like that could be super valuable. So that's kind of one area. I think the support use cases are always fun and interesting. A lot of great examples there. Here's an uncommon one that I'll throw out. I didn't even, I didn't even devote a chapter in the book to it, but finance, you know, self-service collections, billing, this is easily something that can have greater automation for, you know, when people you know, are out of, out of compliance or we need to get a hold of someone. I'm seeing lots of fascinating cases where people are transforming the way they do collections via products as well. So those are kind of some, some two, two easy ones. Yeah. Like the kind of pay your bill or it's going to get turned off notes in a nice way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Stepping back to product managers, I mean, you touched on it earlier, the domain of product management has definitely changed tremendously with the advent of things like SaaS, and we're no longer shipping boxes. And I think the responsibility, authority, and respect that product managers get has changed a lot. I mean, they're no longer, I remember someone describing them as owners of documentation or bad but nice coders or salespeople that customers like but couldn't hit numbers. So that's obviously changed a ton to now these people are crafting the entire product experience, everything from onboarding and conversions to even putting together policies around, you know, how better to, you know, decrease churn. Looking forward, how do you continue to see the role of a product manager changing over the next few years? Well, look, I mean, um, it's sad that, you know, prone product managers have, have this notion and they're just, you know, bad coders or. But I think that's changed, like, you know, that's changed. I think a lot changed. over the last decade, obviously. Um, look, I, I think we've seen now what a growth team can do or a growth PM can do. It's one of the hottest roles in business right now. So that's an easy one. So where does it, where does it extend? I mean, I think it's going to transform more of a business. You know, I, I think some of the panel recently were talking about what it means for like, let's say, just take onboarding as an example. Today, Onboarding is traditionally owned by customer success teams. Should it, you know, maybe a PM, maybe it's like, like we have growth PMs, we have onboarding PMs and their sole job is maybe they partner with CS, maybe they have a former CS background, but they own the onboarding experience, soup to nuts, the whole thing. And it's a product just like everything else. Everyone talks about the, the value of onboarding, like productize it, you know, make it automated, right? So I think, I think that's, I think you'll see more PMs like that, look, I think this is truly what separates great PMs and just okay PMs. I've always said that product management is a sphere of influence job, not a sphere of control. Like you don't become a PM because you want to manage a whole bunch of people. You're never going to manage a whole bunch of people. Like there's not many PMs in organizations. It's just, that's just numbers, right? But the way you have an impact is by partnering across the company to try to find ways to better the business through technology. And, you know, I, I'm a big, big believer in that. So that the great PMs, they're, the ones, they're going to shadow CS and put together business cases for why to automate onboarding. They're going to sit with, 
marketing and talk about ways in which they can drive more referral campaigns or even upsell and cross-sell. You know, I, I think there's huge opportunities around that. When we talked about, you know, PLG is often thought of as a conversion question, product-led growth, but cross-sells and upsells, selling more to existing customers is just as exciting. In some cases, it's even better. So I guess another use case. So I think, I think, the, I think you're going to see more business-oriented PMs like that that partner cross-functionally across the business. So. What about retention? That's one of my kind of rants. PMs can do for retention what you mentioned them doing for onboarding. Is that something that can be productized? Is that something they should own? Like trying to figure out how to, I don't want to say grow because you look at PLG as kind of the top of the funnel, but retention is going to have a bigger impact on their business than anything else. And isn't, isn't product going to be the biggest factor in retention? Yeah, I think, look, I mean, I, I, onboarding is, is often an early indication of retention. Company you know, Users and customers that get onboarded more successfully generally lead to higher retention rates. So, so 100% agreed. Uh, that's where I started. I do think the future there is like how many companies, certainly in the enterprise, do some sort of value conversation with a customer, some ROI calculator, something like that. And look, even on consumer purchases, like, when you or I buy something or anyone out there in the audience, how often do they tell you how much your savings are from having this or whatever the returns are? So I think that the consumer folks are probably quite, quite good at this, but I think it'd be amazing if the product itself showed you a running ticker of how much money you're saving or making or, you know, um, reallocating based on the product. I and mean, wouldn't it be awesome to have that ROI character live updated all the time so that, that you don't have to guess about what value you're getting from this large purchase. You can see the value visibly. And I think that's an area where the product, that's going to drive to better retention. Because if I see the outcomes I'm getting and understand the value I'm getting, I'm more likely to, to not only retain, but hopefully grow. Yeah. I think you, you mentioned that with support, right? With this idea of ticket deflection or resolution, you know, you could actually calculate inside your product, how much money you're saving the company by putting those processes in place and automating them. Exactly. Exactly. And look, and support, I think support helps retention, of course, because people don't get irritated. Now, some people will say that if you've got a good support team, every time a customer talks to support and has a good experience, it is a positive reflection on your brand. So there is some positive brand benefit you get from that. But, but yeah, generally people don't want to have to contact support by and large. And yeah, they want to know that they get ROI out of their spend. And the other thing, you know, I mean, look, all, all this comes down to is you is can your product, can, you know, whoever bought it, can it help the person who bought it get promoted? And they, so then the question is, how do you help someone get promoted? Well, you help them, arm them with how the product is delivered positive you know, outcomes and how their ownership and championing of it help do that. So I think that's a great way of thinking about product and product led is like if every one of your champions gets promoted, that's ultimately very, very good for you. Now it's easy for you, right? Because you're both a CEO and a product person, but how would you advise product leaders to get their company behind the notion of being product led, especially if maybe their CEO doesn't come from a product background? How would, how would you advise them to get consensus or build up this direction with the CEO, with sales, with customer success, with marketing? Yeah. Well, this may be the yin-yang or good-bad of COVID is that, you know, we're all looking at our companies and figuring out how do we do more with less. 
And one of the ways you do more with less is that you have the product do things that humans normally would do. So this is an area where, you know, look at areas in your customer experience that are inefficient. What are areas that you feel require humans versus don't require humans and try to create more automation around the ones that, that don't require the humans. And um, you don't need to be a product leader to get behind efficiency. And, you know, so I, I think this is um, not too difficult. I think each one of those areas is people are going to care slightly differently about, but uh, I think this is now a great time. You know, we're working with companies who, have executed layoffs. So by definition, they have fewer humans to do things, but yet have the same volume of work. What do you do in that instance? You have to automate. You have to do things product-led. You have no choice. So I think that that's kind of one of the things that I've seen as a positive outcome because once we go back to a more normal-ish whatever, whenever, the companies will all be stronger. They'll be more efficient. They'll be better You know, as a result. So I think that's pretty cool. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk about product management during the time of COVID, right? Product leaders everywhere, they're, if they're not rewriting their playbook, they're actually they're re-examining at least in the time of COVID. How can your book help them navigate during these times? I think it can help because it gives a ton of examples of things, of different ways to think about the customer experience and different ways a product can offload work from humans. So I think... Um, covers a lot of different examples of why these things matter, how to think about them, what are some of the tools, techniques, processes, way to measure them. You know, I mean, look, I, all transparency, wrote the book before COVID happened. So uh, my first or my last, I should say, deadline with the manuscript was, you know, I think pretty much before, before that happened. So yeah, yes, we made some updates and we have contextualized a little bit. So it's not like ignorant of the current situation. But I think what I'm really proud of is that the playbook is, you know, it's really spot on. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's luck, I guess, or maybe it's just where the puck was going anyway, so to speak. But I think the content, certainly that second section, can really help you think about what areas of your customer experience can be disrupted with product. So talk to me about the product org at Pendo during COVID. You know, how is it approaching COVID? How has it changed the way they think about product? Well, I don't know that COVID's changed the way we think about product per se, but but of course we made some some adjustments based on what we saw. I mean, you know, I, I think in the earliest, earliest days of COVID, there was an assertion that most of our customers would care more about retention than growth. So let's make sure that we are shifting our strategic roadmap to capabilities that can help customers retain more than grow. Fast forward to today, I mean, I think companies are still very focused on growth, not that they're not focused on retention, but we did shift some plans, shift some teams work, focusing on ways in which to drive higher retention. And so I think, I think that's probably been the biggest change. The other big thing we've been doing, and this has been pretty cool, is you know, we do have an internal product, or we have a product called Pendo Feedback. We have an internal instance of that product. And feedback is basically a way to manage customer feedback requests at scale. And we decided as a product org to kind of look at the top 10 list and be proactive on just plucking a few of those uh, items off and delivering them in timely fashion. So even, you know, so if anything, we've been a little more focused on voice of the customer just to make sure that in this challenging time, we're listening. We're listening to individuals on what they think is 
more important and, and trying to be a little more customer driven in our prioritizations than even normal. So let's talk a little bit about the future and, and the product communities. What trends do you see happening in the product community? Well, look, I mean, I think we, we covered, you know, quite a bit of the, I think the book covers the trends. You know, I think this product ops is a very new trend. I think it's very, very early. That's got me kind of, uh, yeah, that's certainly an exciting trend. I, I, I think continuing to drive more and more experimentation in products, I think is a really interesting area. Then the other trend I think is that I've been kind of interested in is making sure that we're leveraging tools, techniques like natural language processing to kind of help synthesize a lot of the raw text we have and distill it down to a few key themes. And one of the challenges that product managers have is that, and I'm advocating we keep doing this, by the way, that, you know, we have a lot of conversations. We trade a lot of messages. There's a lot of content in like raw text and data around product. Well, how do you separate the signal versus the noise in that? And I think, I think NLP and techniques like that can, can be kind of helpful. So those are kind of some of the trends that I'm thinking about. So, Yeah, I mean, definitely you can see in the industry a trend around NLP, around machine learning. Any advice on how product managers could start applying some of those technologies to their craft? I mean, look, I think one of the challenges I have with AI and machine learning is, um, one, they're just incredibly overused terms, right? And things like Bayesian analysis has been around for a very, very long time. And, for example, you know, helping triage spam versus not spam. So that's not like new tech, you know. But there's no question if you're in a business where you are data rich, you have a preponderance of data, and you want to help teams find trends, make sense of that data. I think I think you need to be, you know, evaluating. I think most consumers, most users will expect not have to look at like giant reports and charts to pull out the one or two insights. So, you know, and I think in this case, you have to be thinking about what's a training set look like? How would I train the software? And then from the training, what sort of answers could I derive? So that's, that's kind of how an you know, overarching think about things like AI is like, what outcome am I trying to drive to? Like, I mean, a good example is like, can I predict retention? You talked about retention earlier with AI based on data you have. I think from that sense, you need to have a good referenceable set of training data. So that means I have the raw data plus the outcomes. And then you need to hope that your other customer base looks looks very similar to that. So I think there's, uh, I think, you know, part of the challenge too is a lot of tools may not be as comprehensive as they like. They may not have every data that actually is the true signal. So uh, you need to make sure you're comprehensive. But I look, I think we're still in the very early days of, of AI. And I think if you're looking to get into it, this is an area where inorganic growth acquisitions can be helpful, but try to find an acquisition that understands your domain. Like just hiring a bunch of smart people who have PhDs in AI or data science, I don't think it's going to help you. I think each domain is so heavily tailored, heavily customized that in order to actually drive signal from noise, you need someone that's kind of a domain expert. At least that's from, from what I can tell. The six most successful companies have highly configured models for a specific problem. So I think it's really important to understand the problem and get to that specific model. 
Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree with that. I mean, machine learning applied to a very specific problem can be way more effective. That's probably the only way to be effective. You see a lot of these you know, startup organizations that are building general purpose machine learning technologies, I think that struggle. The other trend you talked about was product ops. You know, talk to me about how you would justify product ops to you know, another CEO out there that's looking to, to build that part of his product organization. Yeah, I got this question a little while ago, and I guess this is how I look at it. Now, with you know, there is a preponderance of tools and technology that product managers have that they can uh, enhance their job, like Pendo, but like other products as well. Then the question I kind of posed back when I got the question is, who manages that? Who organizes it? Who makes sure it's not a complete and utter mess, right? So that's clearly one of the things that I think there's a lot of value uh, out of that. So, so that's just kind of management of tools. But then otherwise, look across the product management function. There are processes that benefit from centralized management. So, for example, the release process. And sometimes there's roles called prod program management. But program management is traditionally more in the engineering function and more focused on release. I think there's value in having product operations owning it because the concept of release is fundamentally changed. You know, we're, we're often releasing in a phased approach. So phased meaning different audiences get it in an increasing set. Like sometimes we, at each kind of milestone, we want to do some sort of surveys. We want to collect feedback. We understand that things we're building are actually hitting on it. So having a centralized process, a centralized organization, you know, really helps make sure you don't have chaos. Because what if like 10 different product managers are all managing their own beta processes? That sounds like a mess. And it sounds like it'll ultimately lead to a bad customer experience for your customers. Like if you're a customer and you're getting like pinged from 10 different product managers and all these different betas you're in, it's not a good experience. You want someone to organize that. So, so that's another big piece of it. And the third thing is, I highlighted this in our Pendo feedback process, but it's also useful to have a single hub for all product feature requests and to organize how you structure it, how you communicate back to the requesters. You know, I, th- I think at the end of the day, you want your product managers focusing on working with teams, running user stories, accepting stories, thinking about the future. Like you really want them, you know, managing a giant list of incoming feature requests. Now, if there's a request in their area, this hub should be directing that to the product manager, but it's all organized. Who decides... What areas to even put in the forms and things? Like you want a centralized body. And I think that's what product ops has. And look, it's not unlike CS ops or sales ops. I mean, it's, it's offloading processes, tools from the product managers. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. I think there's a huge value to that product ops function. And we've seen it already with marketing ops and revenue ops. It's kind of like that natural extension when you think about it. So, you know, if you were in a, give a quick little cliff notes summary to a CEO out there who wants to learn more about product. What's the top three things he's going to learn from your book? I think, yeah, look, I think the three sections lay it out. So you're, one, you're going to learn about how to use data to help uh, evolve your product management organization beyond instinct and intuition. Second thing is you're going to learn and be exposed to different ways you can have product drive more efficiencies across the entire customer lifecycle experience. 
And the third is you're going to learn what sort of supporting infrastructure and, you know, operations you need to help execute on the prior two. So it's kind of the top three things. Sounds great. Well, Todd, tell me, uh, I'm curious, what's your favorite product these days? Favorite, Yeah, I'll go with Peloton. So I, I um, love that thing. And, you know, it keeps me engaged. It's, it's a great product by the business. No, no question about it. So um, I, and I think, look, I was told it was great, um, but I was probably a skeptic, admittedly. And then I used it. And I was like, okay, that's pretty darn great. And now it kind of has me hooked. It has me hooked. So it's especially, of course, beneficial during COVID. But, um, yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Well, one, one final question. Three words to describe yourself. Oh, geez. Three words to describe myself. Uh, you know, I guess passionate is one I've used since I was 16 years old. So I'll stick with that one is probably my top word. Second, analytical. Uh, I, I guess I'd probably call myself somewhat analytical. And I think optimistic is my third. I think ultimately I'm a glasses half full person, not a glasses half empty person. So almost to a fault. But yeah, those are my top three. Awesome. Thanks. Todd, for being here. It's been great. Again, the book's called The Product-Led Organization, written by Todd Olson. Check it out. I invite you to get your copy. 